Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. It's been nearly two years since we first heard the term COVID-19, and most of us assumed the pandemic would be behind us by now, but the virus has continued to evolve, and we're now seeing record numbers of new cases, over 600,000 a day in the U.S. alone. So we've invited industrial hygienist Monona Russell back to our show to help us think about where we might go from here. She is the president and founder of Arts, Crafts, and Theater Safety Health, and uh, and also the Health and Safety Officer for Local A29 of IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, and the author of Pick Your Poison, How Our Mad Dash to Chemical Utopia is Making Lab Rats of Us All, which is published by Wiley. If you have any questions for Monona, we invite your calls at 212 212- Two zero nine two eight seven seven. That's two one two two zero nine twenty eight seventy seven. Monona, welcome back to our show. Well, thank you. Actually, I said six hundred thousand. The numbers of new cases have exploded in the last couple of weeks. The New York Times reported uh, seven hundred thirty seven thousand four hundred fifteen just yesterday. So, how does this compare with last winter? Well, it, it, we're about three times as high. This is the highest it's ever been in terms of infection numbers. I mean, we just the, the Omicron virus is just incredibly transmissible and infective. Um, so the number of cases is just just huge. Now, you have to remember those numbers are not solid, no matter who you get them from, because they are just a representative sample, um, not all tests are, 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 are checked for, for, you know, whether they're positive or not. If you, de- if you take a home test, mm-hmm. no one is going to know what the result is that, of that if you don't want anyone to know. So this is a, you know, it's, it's a guess. So the actual numbers are likely to be much higher than the official reports. I think you can just absolutely take that to the bank. Yeah, it's going to be higher than that. And you're, you're suggesting that uh, this explosion is mainly due to the Omicron variant, which is much more transmittable than earlier versions? Yeah, they, the, the guess is that in this area, the, um, the Omicron is about 90% of the cases. But again, that's done on a, a representative sample of the people who are going into the hospital because they aren't going to speciate every single uh, case um, it just doesn't, you know, just doesn't happen. So that's a pretty good guess that that most of them are Omicron. And Omicron arrived just before the holidays when many people were traveling and getting together with family and friends. So should I assume that's another factor in the huge increase in cases? Absolutely. <laughs> I cannot imagine how we think that putting 15,000 people in a small space on Times Square mm-hmm. or having all kinds of gatherings and so on, people with the little flimsy masks on shouting and yelling and, and, and partying. But they had, to have, they had to have proof of vaccination. Did that matter? Oh, it matter? doesn't matter. And no, is no, Omicron, no. Does, does Omicron uh, vaccination really prevent, uh, well, does vaccination really prevent an Omicron infection? No, not at all. Um, the, the, it may lessen it, uh, and, and we, we aren't even sure how much it lessens it. Um, but, but you see, the, the, the Omicron will get everybody. It'll get boosted people. It'll get 
vaccinated people, it'll get really good grip on the unvaccinated. And, what if, and if people had Delta, they can still uh, they're still vulnerable to Omicron. Absolutely. In fact, you can get both Delta and Omicron again within a matter of months after your infection. Oh, and you see, that really bothers me that, that, that people don't know that because some of the very first data that came out back in, in January and February of 2020, already from the Chinese said, people are getting the virus a second time. And our people over here said, no, no, it can't be. It's just uh, some leftover uh, RNA in their tests. No, the Chinese are not stupid. These, these were reinfections. And every one of these bugs has been able to reinfect uh, uh, again. So this is nothing new, really. So am I just lucky that I haven't come down with any of these variants? Yeah, I guess you are. <laughs> some experts have said that Omicron, or as some people pronounce it, Omicron, is almost a different disease. What makes it different from the early forms of, of COVID? Well, depending on who you talk to, somewhere between 30 and 50 percent uh, changes in the RNA. Uh, small changes, some of them, some of them not so small. So it's, it's practically a different virus, um, many different properties. It still is in the same class, but it, it has a lot of different properties. And it's put being put, uh, putting a strain on hospitals, even though uh, it's supposedly a, a weaker form of, of uh, COVID-19. Right. Even if it's less uh, lethal and, and puts you in the hospitals, if you your infectivity rate is at least three times higher, then you, the, the percentage of people that are going to end up in the hospital starts to get significant. So we don't know just where that's going to land because we've got to watch now. We've got to look at this and see how many people are in the hospital. And then we have to see what the... Um, uh, the rate of people who end up on ventilators, the rate of people who die, that that we can't know that at this point at all because it's too new. And do we know what percentage of, of hospitalizations and deaths are in the unvaccinated population? Well, there's a, all kinds of anecdotal stuff from individual reports from hospitals, and most of them um, you say that almost every case that is in there um, ICU is an unvaccinated person. And, and that's one of the other things. Since, since Omicron is an equal employment virus and can just catch anybody, and since anybody can then transmit it, I mean, it's really seeking out anyone who is really vulnerable, like someone who is unvaccinated. And th that, that poor person is walking around and they can't trust any, <laughs> anybody. Uh, uh, to not pass the virus to them. But does the fact that the vaccines don't prevent infections completely bolster the arguments of anti-vaxxers? The vaccination well, program in the country seems to have stalled at about 62 percent of, of people being fully vaccinated. Well, you don't. You, if, if, if you if you're reading, if you, if you can read, you know that you're not really taking the vaccine to keep yourself from getting infected. That, that may be one of the things that it does a little bit, but primarily you take it so that your immune system will recognize this, get busy right away, and you're less likely to end up in the hospital. 
So it's going to reduce the, the, the infection and the, the power of that infection. And that's the main reason you do this. And then there are people who have uh, other reasons for not taking the vaccine. I, uh, I just spoke to a woman uh, the other day who said that um, she's not an anti-vaxxer. Her whole family has been vaccinated, but she hasn't because she is just near the end of childbearing age and she would like to become pregnant. And she's afraid that the vaccine would have a negative impact. There is absolutely not one bit of evidence for that. Um, and the, the birth rate has just continued. Many people have gotten pregnant during this period of time. I mean, this is just there just isn't anything that really supports her view. But if she's afraid, you know, then, you know, this is her right not to not to get vaccinated. But I, I would I would really suggest that the, the last thing she needs is to be both pregnant and sick. Yeah, well, it's also affecting her on her job, but that's another matter. There have been almost uh, 60 million reported cases of COVID in the United States since the pandemic began. I think it's even higher now. Does having been infected with COVID and recovered confer the, the same level of immunity as vaccination? No. No, that's what I that's what I'm trying to explain here, because you can get the you can get you can get either Delta or any of the variants and and be reinfected in a matter of months. Um, granted, when you get reinfected, you're more likely to have a lighter case. But um, if you have real underlying health problems, you really don't want to get reinfected. It's not a very good way to boost your immunity. What about some of the other new treatments we've been hearing about? In addition to monoclonal antibodies, which have been used for a while, drug companies have come out with medications in the form of pills that people can take at home, like Paxlovid. Do we know how effective they are in treating Omicron? It looks like they're, I mean, the, 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 the clinical trials so far look good. But, you know, the real test will be when it comes out into the public and we see what it does in large numbers. But that's a that's a very welcome thing hmm. because, you know, the, the, the reason that I did very well with COVID is I got an, a, a monoclonal antibody infusion. I got the Eli Lilly. That one now doesn't work on the Omicron. Um, it works does. on the other ones, but not on Omicron. Right. Oh, boy. So um, isn't that it, 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 that's really interesting Two, there are three possible um, um, monoclonal antibody infusions and only one that's kind of not common has any possibility of doing much of anything. So, I mean, this virus is 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 improving its ability to get us in a number of ways and and it is it is able to get around those monoclonal antibody uh, infusions pretty well um the the new antiviral drugs that that that's that's really interesting because that's a kind of general antiviral medication that now looks like it has some very specific uses in this particular situation which is good um I, I'm really watching the data on that because, uh, as as an elderly person myself, um, I I'm, I really need to know 
what kind of treatments might might help me and my husband if we did get infected again. Yeah, well, the the new variant has caused many places to bring back mask mandates. After vaccination, is wearing an effective mask the most important thing that we can do to prevent the spread of this virus? Because there, there's so much confusion as to what's a good mask and what's a bad mask and whether we should have two masks, whether we should have cloth masks, whether we should have paper masks, surgical you know, masks. Yeah, it's really so much simpler than that. I I just wish there were more people doing the kind of training that, that we do through the union on, on masks because it's a really clear-cut sort of thing. If you're wearing a cloth mask, it's going to stop your gobsmackers going out. It is not going to stop the aerosol, the small particles, from coming in. So if I don't have COVID... The cloth mask is really useless in a way? In, in, it, is, it is very helpful if you and everyone in the room is wearing one because the big particles are not leaving you or anybody else. And your, your total infectivity in that room, the total transmission rate in that room should go down because uh, you're just not, you know, really hitting somebody with with the big wet ones. Um, but it really can't stop the fine particles at all. No cloth can. And that's the first thing we do in training is we, we talk about the physics of what, how a uh, filter works. And filters do not stop particles like sieves would. They, in other words, they're not little tiny spaces that catch the particles. They rely on van der Waals forces. These are like, you can think of it as gravity in the minute, uh, just as a, 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 an asteroid or another planet coming too close to uh, uh, the Earth will be drawn in by gravity and, 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 and collide. So these particles will get near a fiber and stick to them. They'll be attracted to them. The big particles will go straight in lines and hit those fibers and stick. The little teeny tiny ones will be hit by molecules and they have a very zigzag pattern of movement. And sooner or later, they're also going to hit a fiber and stick. But the particles we're most concerned about in COVID are those from around 0.1 to 0.25 and the ones in in the range of the lower part of that, physics says they have just the right size to follow the little air currents around the fibers. No cloth woven anywhere in any country with any substance in it, no matter what we're talking about, can stop those particles. So uh, if I have a cloth mask and I put it in the wash, that's irrelevant? Yeah, yeah. You can wash those. I mean, why not? Okay, well, anyway, I want my audience to know that my guest today is industrial hygienist Monona Russell. This is Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. We are taking your calls at 212-209-2877. And uh, we'll get back to the masks in a moment, but I want to take a few calls. Uh, BAI, you're on the air. Daryl McPherson, Bronx, New York. Hello, Mr. Lopate, and hello, Ms. Russell. Hello. Hello? Yes, hi, you're there. 
positive. Thank you. It's challenging knowing when you're on or not. Um, what I wanted to um, know is, would Ms. Russell com com comment on um, the effectiveness of the N95 mask, huh. uh, why, um, uh, whether everyone should be wearing one? Um, also, would she speak about ultraviolet light and um, air exchangers to improve the... Um, the environment in a given space. And to, to add to that, there there's the N95s and there's the KN95 masks. Yeah, we'll get into both. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, and that this is a perfect subject for just where we left off. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to stop the the particles that we're most concerned about, you need something like an N95 because that filter has what are called electrolyte fibers in them, electrolyte fibers that are charged. They are special fibers that have a charge that captures those particles when they get near. So unless you have an N95 or similar filter, there is absolutely no way you're gonna get the particles that we're most concerned about with this virus. So we have been suggesting N95s for a long time. I do not suggest, and I know many of the health professionals do, I don't recommend ever getting anything with a K in front of it. What does the K stand for? It was These were the Chinese masks mm -hmm. that came in when we didn't have enough N95s. And they some of them were pretty good, and they got emergency exemption uh, approval. Um, but immediately thereafter, many businessmen put bogus ones on the market. For example, a KN95. Counterfeits. Yeah, counterfeits. Mm -hmm. And any, any one of these, for instance, with ear loops cannot work. It will not pass a fit test because you don't have enough backward pressure to get a fit to the face. So there's all kinds of K types that I, it's such a, 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 a crazy patchwork of what works and doesn't work that I really don't want people to even go there. Get an N95, there's a TC number on it. Take that number down, go on www.osha.niosh.gov, N-I-O-S-H.gov and type that into their respiratory section and find out that it is actually a certified respirator. And then you know you got the goods, you got the real stuff. And uh, that's what we really have been recommending. And we've been recommending it for a year now. The, the CDC just came out and said, you know, that's probably a pretty good idea. Well, they're always, you know, a dollar short and a day late. And well, um, with these masks, fit is very important. When you're buying online, you can't try them on. So how do we know that our masks is going to fit correctly? Because yeah, they come that, in different sizes. That you know, if if you really were, if you really wanted to do this right, for instance, if you do one of, the, if you like the cup type ones, I really suggest that you find a source where you can get three the three sizes and see which one works for you and then order a bunch of the ones that work. Uh, some of the folding types, either the duck build or the ones that fold vertically, uh, do a lot better job in, in fitting in my estimation. The ones that, that you can kind of clip around your nose? 
Yes, all of them must have a nose clip mm-hmm. in order for it to get tight uh, on, on your nose. And all of them must have two straps, one that goes at the top of your head, one that goes at the base of your neck and pulls that mask firmly so that it, it, there's a seal. Um, the reason that we are really promoting the uses of N95s, there's two big reasons. One is when you get an N95, you're supporting U.S. manufacturers who busted their humps to make sure there's enough N95s, and there are enough N95s. You're not hurting anybody by getting an N95. The other thing is, um, now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay, well, uh, we'll we'll get back to it, I'm sure. Uh, caller, anything you want to add before I go to the next call? He's oh, he's gone. Okay. Let's take another call. BAL, oh, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Uh, good afternoon. If somebody has COVID, uh, like I got a home test, and I tested positive, so I went home, I stayed at home, I had flu-like symptoms, I was had the cold, stiffy nose, but after a week or about seven days, it went away, but I took another test, and it still tests positive, so what's going on? Do, do, should I, I, I wear my mask and all that, get, but am I a long-term carrier? <laughs> uh, how do I get this out of my system? And, and by the way, if you see me on the subway, could you please sit somewhere else? <laughs> <laughs> Wear a mask, you know. I'm wearing a mask. What do I do? It's, it's yeah. you know, no, you, you, you relax. You will get rid of it. It will go away. It it, it just it, it it takes. This is why we were not. Most of us in in this field were not happy with the CDC when they said after five days you can just go out in public again. Um, their their theory is that, that you're not very infective after five days, and uh, we know that some people are going to be still quite infective after five days. And it's we would much rather that if you, that, that people do exactly what you did, which is get a test, and if you're still positive, you know, stay away from people for a little while longer. Get another test in another few days and see if that's changed. It will go away, trust me. But, Monona, many of us live with somebody else. Uh, how do we stay away from that person? You know, I'm in a small New York apartment, and you just might as well just breathe the air and figure on getting rid of the disease. When uh, it's, share it as a couple. You've got a, yeah, if you've got a nice big house and you can put somebody in one bedroom and you can wear N95s and you can do all this stuff and you can have, you know, fans in the windows that take the air out of that bedroom and keep it under negative pressure where the infected person is, yeah, you can do it. But in most New York apartments... It's just a, a lost cause. Caller, anything you want to add? Well, I, you know, I, but I have to go to work, too. What do I do? do I get, can I get workers' compensation? Can I get uh, unemployment insurance? I've spent a week. It's, if I stay at home again, it's going to be another couple of weeks. How am I going to pay my rent? I, hmm. I have no yeah, well, you have to. That's, that's something you need to take up with the employer, or I don't know if you're unionized, but you need to talk to your union safety people if you are unionized, because they will have a definite policy on that. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Let's go to another call. Okay. BAI, you're on the air. Good afternoon. Hi. 
The question I would like, I have two questions. One, I guess you could answer very quick. And I'm going to ask both of them. And then I'm going to hang up. The first question is, what I do, I use a cloth mask plus the N95. And if that's good. The second question, which has been plaguing me for months, let us assume, my name is Asaw, by the way, I'm from Harlem. And they have a lot of black people in Harlem that says they would have to break their door down, handcuff them, and give them the vaccine. And I'm saying that I'm saying this to say this. Can the doctor state, Winona state, that if it's 25 years goes out, passes, and 100,000 people, I'm lowballing this, do not take that vaccine, will those 100,000 people be dead in 25 years? <laughs> I know the question may sound crazy, but I'm going to hang up to listen. Okay, thanks for your call. Yeah, I I don't suggest wearing a cloth mask over the N95 because there's some breathing stress anyway. And you're also rebreathing some of your own air, which raises the amount of carbon dioxide uh, that you inhale. This is not a danger to you. But it, it does make you feel uncomfortable or tired earlier and, and so on. So, I, I you know, you have, if your N95 really does fit well, you really don't need anything else. And many people are also confused about how long they can wear a mask before they should discard it. With those blue surgical masks, must they be discarded after a single use? Well, those were meant to be discarded after a single use. Um, but remember, when we didn't have enough of them, they were wearing them all day long hmm. and then putting them in a paper bag and waiting seven days and then putting that one back on. And they were rotating them so that they could get enough, you know, N95s over their faces. Um, so we know that, that they will sort of work longer. But those are single-use respirators for the most part. Now, why paper bags? What does that do? Oh, well, because when they originally put them in Ziploc bags, but now all of your breath and your the moisture was, you know, growing mold and stuff in there. So we found it was better to put them in paper bags so they could be, you know, they could dry out. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's take another call. We will, in in a moment, uh, take another call. Um, now, N95s are much more expensive. Um, is there a way to clean them other than putting them in the paper bag? Absolutely not. Hmm. No, you really can't. You can't fool with them at all. You'll change the way those fibers function. So you're you're pretty much stuck. There was. A period of time when we had none that they they, they developed. Uh, in fact, it was Battelle that developed a, a, a hydrogen peroxide gas or vapor um, chamber, and that would do it. But this is this is subjecting it to a, a vapor in a, a, a controlled chamber that would then disinfect and clean the mask and. Um, but that's the only way that you could you could do this, because if you put water and soap on that, it's done. Hmm. You're listening to Leonard Lopit at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org.
If you visit American City, you will find it very pretty. Just two things of which you must beware. Don't drink the water and don't breathe the air. Pollution, pollution, they got smog and sewage and mud. But of course, that was recorded before the COVID pandemic, but uh, some of the advice is, is still relevant. Very good. You bet. Now, uh, we're back with my guest, industrial hygienist Monona Russell, who is the president and founder of Arts, Crafts, and Theater Safety, the health and safety officer for Local 829 of IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, and the author of Pick Your Poison, How Our Mad Dash to Chemical Utopia is Making Lab Rats of Us All, which is published by Wiley. And we're taking your calls at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Should we take a few more calls? Okay, yeah, well, one, one thing we should probably talk about is what the first caller also asked about UV. We should probably quickly just cover... Okay. Ultraviolet. So why don't you do ultraviolet and then we'll take this call. Okay. Um, ultraviolet will kill that virus if it is in the right strength and the right distance. And it also will ionize some of the air, change the quality of the air. There's a lot of downsides to using it. It is also a skin carcinogen, an eye damager. So you have to really look at UV before you use it. Some of these things that they're selling now are actually dangerous. So the best thing for this virus always is to capture it. That's why the HEPA um, air purifiers are really what you want, because they will capture this. And they'll do it without damaging the air quality or subjecting you to a cancer-causing ray or whatever. And where so do I, I get that? Oh, there's many, many sources for, um, for HEPA uh, uh, air purifiers. and um, you, you, My local you, hardware store? Well, some local hardware stores have some good ones, but you really... What, uh, here's the thing. What I do for my union people is they, they, if they see one that they think is a good thing, they attach the uh, manual or the copy on their advertising to an email and send it to me and then I evaluate it for them. And you may need some help because there are a lot of charlatans out there with the air purifiers as well. So there's some bad ones out there. But a straight HEPA air purifier that just sucks in air, runs it through a HEPA and blows it back out again is what you want. In fact, this whole pandemic has uh, led me to lose some faith in my fellow man, uh, along with some of the things that have been happening in politics, because people have been taking uh, taking advantage of this. Uh, charlatans are out there making money on things that are destructive. So we really do have to be careful, don't we? Yeah, we really, really do. Okay, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Can you hear me okay? We hear you fine. Okay, great. Um my name is Bob. I'm in one of the uh, suburbs of New York City. Um, all this could have been avoided. I'm not here to preach. I just, uh, and I'll try to form a, a, a reasonably coherent question. Um, I've been. All this could have been very simplified if some of this information were, was was actually being made public by the CDC. Uh, the emphasis on vaccines over masks, when actually masks the only thing that can actually stop transmission. Uh, the vaccine won't. 
but the fact that they've been completely inconsistent and, bum- and bungled the whole thing from the start hasn't really helped things. Uh, the, the misinformation that they put out there, the changing information, and the lack of a singular voice out there that's going to communicate to most people out there, um, lunatics aside, uh, we're, we're being informed. We're in the middle of what, what can be seen as a war. So why isn't a, a wartime like a critical plan out there where you know everybody should get free and 95 masks? The whole population should but have them available at all times. But caller, many of the people who are opposed to the vaccine are also opposed to mask mandates. I'm living in the heart of that in in, in suburban you know New York where there's a lot of very Republican and right wing. I'm aware of that. Um, However, the CDC, I'm not here to, to demonize the CBC. They're doing the best they can, and they're doing a pretty crappy job. However, I've been surviving by wearing double KN95 masks for the last uh, two years. Getting N95s has not been uh, that easy. Uh, it's basically I have to, to depend on outside suppliers, and when they don't have it, I have to buy a KN95, even if I can get that. Getting testing, getting tested, although it's just get tested, is what I hear a lot. People are waiting online for hours in the cold and getting and and, and uh, risking the danger of getting infected while you're online, you know, waiting online uh, on the queue. So it's it's been very difficult. I'm disappointed about the KN95s. I thought that at least I could, you know, cross my fingers and trust that they were safe. But now I'm going to have to kind of get N95s. And I'm not sure how to do that. Um, yeah, the, the N95 is really where you want to go because they are certified through NIOSH and that TC number that you have is gold and you can just type that into their, their website and make sure it's 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 has approval. But the uh, the FDA with rescinded approval of the KN95s, that's why I'm not sure why the CDC is mentioning them, because as far as a workplace is concerned, um, they really should be wearing only things that are, are NIOSH certified. So I, I have I have issues with them, and I have to totally agree with you on the CDC. It is very very sad, but they have been late. I mean, a year late to understand that it was airborne. I mean, really. I mean, <laughs> almost. All how how much of this is about politics? I don't think much of it. Well, they 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 now are are very political. They're literally kind of figuring out what people will tolerate and where things are going and and, and, and sliding along with it. And don't get me wrong, I love Dr. Fauci, but um, it is not it is not a system that works. And one of the reasons is that those people are primarily industri- um, um, epidemiologists, medical people. Um, people who are into genetics and so on, they have no business talking about ventilation, to tell you the truth. They have no business talking about masks. They, <laughs> this is not their field. And what what I think we've learned in this pandemic is that every expert should stay in their damn lane. And if you want medical advice, you go to the CDC because they have medical advice. But if you want ventilation and protective equipment advice, you go to the organizations that deal with industrial hygiene and, and I ventilation. I that you know, pretty much you know, at least 75 percent of the population are, 
are not going to want to do that. They don't. If, they don't even have enough basic information to know where to start. Yeah. Well, I, right. I, I, want, I want to follow up on that. Thank you for your call. Uh, when the pandemic began, we were told that one of the goals was to reach herd immunity. Um, well, since there's a, been a sufficient percentage of the population vaccinated or immune from having been infected and recovered so that the disease dies out, have, how come we haven't gotten to that point, at least in the United States? Or is herd immunity a, just a fantasy? No, it's a perfectly good thing. And it worked for um, things like um, smallpox, because once you get smallpox or once you've been vaccinated for smallpox, there is absolutely no way you get it again. And that's if you look at what's called the SIR curve for herd immunity, you will see it is dependent on the fact that if the person gets COVID or if they are vaccinated, in those cases, they can't get it again. As soon as that is not true, herd immunity becomes impossible. Mm. There is absolutely no way we get to herd immunity. We can get to maybe enough people vaccinated that we don't stress the hospitals because the, the cases are light, but we cannot ever, ever with this bug reach herd immunity. Is that partly because there are so many variants? Each time we think that we have uh, kind of over uh, gotten on top of a problem, along comes the next one and we're running nope. out of Greek letters? Nope. The very first variant that the Chinese noticed you could get more than once. They should have known right then and there that herd immunity is not in the cards for this bug. And that has been proven right. And that's what bothers me about the CDCs all the way along. They went through traditional um, tried and true um, procedures, you know, like, well, it's it's a flu. So it's it's you get it when people sneeze or cough and the big gobs and, and, and you got to wash your hands a lot. And all that. No, no. This was airborne. And all you had to do is look at some of the hospital studies early on is if you were a ventilation expert like I am and you would have known it was airborne and could only have been airborne. Um, so it, it, the, the CDCs, I, I have to agree with the previous caller, are very disappointing in, in terms of precautions. They certainly keep on top of the data. They do the best they can on the medical advice. They're up on, on which vaccines do what and all of that. That's, that's what you should be looking to them for and nothing else, because the rest of what they talk about um, get, for instance, uh, get as much fresh air as as possible. How do you negotiate with an employer as much as possible? Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> you need to set a standard. I'm going outside for a little breather. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the CDCs has been just a, a, a real disappointment to a lot of us. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, is this me? It's you. Oh, it's me. Okay. Well, thank you very Get much. Get a mirror. Uh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> I, yes, I, I will. I've been looking over uh, some uh, uh, a body of clinical literature on the treatment of COVID-19, and I'm coming across dozens 
uh, many of which are peer-reviewed, or they represent the gold standard of scientific inquiry, on the use, on the highly uh, successful use of ivermectin in the early treatment of, Iver, of COVID and as a prophylaxis. And I'm wondering whether, uh, why this ivermectin is not more distributed, not more in use in uh, the hospitals around. Well, this is... <laughs> If, if you take a look at some of the studies of which journals are really peer-reviewed and which aren't, and the amount of false scientific information out there, this is the other thing that is so disappointing. You now cannot trust articles um, the way you could in the past. It is, it is that, that's one of the saddest parts of, of this whole thing is, um, well, one of the drivers is that every Chinese uh, student in this field has to publish. And so they were making up papers and cribbing papers. I mean, they're students. What do you want from them? And so there is a ton of stuff out there that managed to make peer review that is really garbage. So they're, they're now going through a lot of these journals and, 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 and taking another look at, at the data and so on. So you can't always just say, well, this is a peer-reviewed journal, so done. Yeah. Not, not so. I see. Well, one of those journals is the, is the Lancet, one of the most respected. And also nah, are, that's uh, not uh, even uh, peer-reviewed. Okay, well, I'm, I also, uh, there's a substantial number of clinicians who are stepping forward reporting their remarkable success in treating early stage uh, uh, COVID with ivermectin, and they seem to be being ignored. There was one uh, 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 a doctor who made an impassioned plea to the Senate in December of, of uh, 2020 to, uh, about his use of ivermectin and was reporting remarkable success, and it that doesn't seem to have been followed up on it. It seems a, a possibility. A, I mean, it's a, it's a therapy. That I think it's very much worth uh, administering or accepting on a general basis rather than hearing about it uh, from... Uh, it's a very you know, dangerous with, drug, and um, there's a lot of reasons why it's not being, being used at this time. Now, this is not my area of strong expertise, but um, I can just tell you that there is nobody out there who has said this is a really good cure, so we're going to hide it. <laughs> That's not happening. Um, there are really good reasons that they're not not following up on this and that they don't believe the uh, the data that that you're that you're referring to. My guest on today's Leonard Lopez at Large is industrial hygienist Monona Russell. And we are taking your calls. So we only have a, a few minutes left, but I'll give out the number one more time, 212-209-2877. Uh, 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 now, uh, with the, the onset of Omicron, public health experts are, are saying that we're going to be living with COVID for a long time to come. Why do they think it won't just go away? Is it because each time... We seem to get on top of a variant. Another one comes along to replace it. Oh, absolutely! Because and especially look at look at the number of infections. We started out this discussion talking about how many, many, many infections were happening and how much more transmissible this virus is. Well, every single case of every single person, and every single time that virus replicates in that single person, 
it has a chance of mutating. Now, most mutations don't survive, but a certain percentage do. And sooner or later, there will be another variant, one that is more successful than the previous one. And if you're looking for how infective it is, you can assume it's going to be more infective or it wouldn't be the next variant. That's the whole point. If it's going to push Omicron out, it's going to have to be even better at infecting people than Omicron. And, and the fact that there will be another one is just not up for debate. There will be. Um, so and what will it do? We don't know. Uh, maybe it will kill all people whose name starts with O, or maybe the people who get the disease will start speaking in tongues. I do not know. But that new virus variant will be different than Omicron. Shandanava, oh, no, uh, am I speaking in tongues already? Uh, you yeah, are, I thought so. <laughs> you are... Uh, you are an advisor to a number of uh, theatrical uh, unions and the like, and a number of Broadway shows have been cut down, either temporarily or permanently, because cast and crew have been sick. Is there a way to make theater safe for performers and audiences? Yeah, and they're doing a lot of them, but it, it requires a number of things. It, it, it requires testing, which they are usually doing. It re masking is impossible if you're paying people to go on stage and kiss each other. So uh, it, it, it's it's that 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 part of it can't be done. Good ventilation. Uh, a lot of these are older buildings. Uh, I would be in favor of upping the amount of air in these buildings for certain. And a number of things could make them a lot safer. The problem always is in this kind of virus problem is, is that you've got an audience. And if you pack the theater, which is the only way you can crack your nut, your financial requirements, is you've got people cheek to jowl with cloth masks on. And if there's one person who's infected and everybody's cheering and yelling, you're, it, it isn't the people on stage that I'm most worried about. It's the numbers that were, are going to result from cramming a whole lot of people into yeah, an audience. We have that on the subway as well. But and the same as a subway. It's, 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 it's a problem. Whenever you, you put people together, this is going to be a problem with this virus. And also and, whenever people travel. Travel is another difficult situation. Some countries like the Netherlands have gone into total lockdown. Yeah, and they will have less cases than we do. Hmm. Um, we we have made, you know, one of the things that is really odd about this country is that it is so politically decided. And even even the, the, the people who are the experts are swayed by this. And people are tired of masks and tired of vaccinations and tired of being. A, so they're just saying, well, then let's just do it. And as a result, you're seeing the numbers. I mean, it's no surprise um, when you put people together in a building and uh, let them interact, even if they're wearing cloth masks, you're going to have those numbers go up. I mean, it's not a mystery. This isn't rocket science. And we're resigned to things like the possibility of a fourth booth, a fourth shot and another. Oh, absolutely. Shot. Absolutely. We're going to need to be boosted a, a number of times the way it looks. Uh, let's take one more call for the uh, little time we have left. Uh, hi, you're on the air. 
Hi, it's Russ up in Red Plains. Monona, it's great to talk to an expert virologist. I just want to wonder, what do you think about the head of the CDC saying that 75% of the deaths had four comorbidities? And do you wonder about the remaining 25%, how many had three or fewer? And also, Governor Hochul said that of the hospitalizations for COVID, 50% of them are car accidents, overdoses, attempted suicides. So that level of deception that's reflected by those claims, I wonder if you're, is that why you suspect uh, the, the CDC? And the second question is, Manon, do you think a vaccine card should be required to vote in person at the next election? And, and the last question is, if Dr. Fauci is found to have lied about his involvement with gain of function in Wuhan, should he go on trial? Thanks. <laughs> First of all, I'm not a vi virologist. I'm an industrial hygienist, so I deal with precautions. But I certainly have to, in order to do that, understand exactly what you're talking about in terms of the virus. And I don't think the word deception works on that. Everything else you said in your first question works. But it was not in th th those figures are not meant to deceive. It's just that that's all they have. So they, they make assumptions from them that are usually not completely valid. Um, and, and you have hit on exactly why those figures are not exactly valid and why people shouldn't exactly lean on them. Your second question was, should you have a vaccine card to vote? And uh, wow, that's that's a political thing. And uh, I'm not just sure how to I, I would like to see. Um, a lot more flexibility in mail, mail in ballots, because I'm also a primary caregiver and pretty much shut in. Hmm. And um, uh, I would just really prefer to put mine in the mail. But mine came back last time saying that it couldn't be delivered. So I have issues with, you know, finding ways to vote that we don't have to show a card at all and go to a, a polling place. I think it's going to be different state by state. Yeah, sure, probably. Because some states, uh, they don't even want to have mask mandates. So uh, there's a wide range uh, that's going to affect voting on top of gerrymandering and whatever else is out there. Yeah, because, you know, here's here's the thing with the airborne virus is you if you if you step into an elevator, even an hour after someone who was really infected went a bunch of floors in that elevator, you could really? be getting the virus. So I should be wearing a mask every time I go in an elevator. Well, I just use elevators because yeah. the the air change rates in those is so, yeah. so low. Um, and, and in some buildings, there is no air change in them at all. Now, and so if someone is infected and is hung out there for a little bit and, and had a bunch of breaths in and out, uh, they're, they're leaving behind a cloud of these small particles. And it's just hovering in there. Um, so and it's the same with a polling place, depending on the ventilation and the way it's structured. You could just walk into a cloud of, of virus and have no way of knowing that it was there. Minota, so, we, we only have about a minute left, but I was wondering if you have any thoughts about why so many athletes have been resistant to being vaccinated, including uh, some, some a major basketball player here in New York and uh, the, the world tennis leading player. tennis player. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, in fact, I have no idea why anyone comes up with that conclusion and they just pop up occasionally somebody that I 
wouldn't suspect would have such a view suddenly has it. Uh, I, I don't, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, mm. it's, it's like you can't predict when, when one of your dear friends goes around the bend either. Um, it's <laughs> kind of that kind of thing. I don't, I don't understand it because if these people are dealing with the physical reality of a sport, mm. you would think they would have a, a very good view of of uh, things like getting, you know, their e- e- immune system boosted and that sort of thing. We have to leave it there, Minona. Thank you so much again for being a guest on our show. We'll see you soon, a couple of months. Uh, well, this was a lot of fun. Minota Russell is an industrial hygienist, uh, the president and founder of Arts, Crafts, and Theater Safety, and the health and safety officer for Local A22 of IATSE, the which is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. And uh, you can find her book from Wiley uh, called Pick Your Poison, How Our Mad Dash to Chemical Utopia is Making Lab Rats of Us All. As always, it's been a great pleasure. And unfortunately, that does bring us to the end of the show. Special thanks to segment producer Barbara Kahn for preparing today's interview. If you'd like to check out more of our one-hour interviews on one subject, you can access our archive of over 600 shows at WBAI.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. You can also find links to our past shows at LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. And we're very pleased to hear that uh, there have been over one million downloads of our show so far. If you'd like to reach me directly, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. But right now, I need to ask you to consider stepping up and supporting WBAI as we struggle to stay afloat during these difficult times. We're asking all of our listeners who haven't taken that step already to make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep the unique in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. If Leonard Lopez at large is part of your daily routine, why not keep it going for someone who's just discovering it? Why not give them the gift of the hour of thoughtful conversation that we hope to bring you in each installment on this show? Again, you can do that by calling 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to WBAI.org to help support independent radio. Remember that WBAI is supported 100% by its listeners. We don't take money from any other sources. And so don't forget to make that tax-deductible contribution in the name of London Located Large. From all of us at the station, thank you, and we hope that you can join us again tomorrow for our next show. We'll see you then.